Howdy, folks. This is Matthew with the Gio Nation podcast. I am uh, sitting back in Ningbo at my desk in my office trying to get organized. Annie and I are back, and uh, I will be in Ningbo now for at least a month before I go to the United States with Annie set her up in a place there because she wants to have the baby in America. And then I am off to Kathmandu. I'm going to Kathmandu. (laughs) Holy moly, guys. I am looking at a map. I climbed a few mountains already in preparation for Mount Everest, but there is... There's a different thing when you're when you're climbing the tallest mountain in the world. In the, in my previous mountains, although I did have a basic understanding of Camp One, Camp Two, Camp Three, Base Camp, I kind of allowed the situation to surprise myself. I allowed uh, the story of the climb to unfold around me. I had Annie with me for one thing. And uh, I wasn't too worried. I knew that I could do these climbs without too much worry. Although, if you watched the uh, past documentaries, you could see that I had some illness problems with food poisoning. But beyond that, I felt like those were fairly within my realm of accomplishment. Everest is also within my realm of accomplishment. I've been I've been preparing mentally and physically for for this climb for a long long time. Not to mention the previous climbs I've done, which uh, the highest I've gotten is 7500 meters. But there's also mentally thinking about the climb, mentally understanding what you've got to do and coming to a realization that you can't be afraid of the mountain, you have to respect it. Uh, actually, you can't fear it, but you can't uh, let that fear overpower you. But now it's February 14th, Valentine's Day, uh, my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. And I am feeling that in a month and a half, I'm going to be trekking out to uh, conquer Mount Everest. And I said, you know what, today, actually the last, even when I was in um, Thailand, I was thinking, you know, I really need to look at my itinerary, look at the climb route and map it out. Get on uh, Google Earth, get on uh, Google Maps and take each section piece by piece and consume it, understand it, feel you know, what I might be going through on each one of those sections of the climb, because not only is it a uh, base camp to summit experience, but it's a uh, Kathmandu to base camp experience. And Kathmandu to base camp is a 12-day process from arrival to Kathmandu, um, briefing and uh, getting associated with my group from Adventures Global, which is my my climbing expedition company, Adventures Global. Then flying to Lukla, then trekking to uh, Fading, 
From Fading, I trek the next day to Namche Bazaar, uh, Namche Bazaar to Tengboche, Tengboche to Dingboche, Dingboche to Loboche, <laughs> Loboche to Gorak Chep. And I'm not 100% sure if I'm pronouncing these things right, but basically I went on and I, I just mapped out, you know, what am I going to expect from the here to here? What am I going to expect here to here? And it was really enlightening. It was almost like taking a, a visual trip in your mind. There's a lot to be said for the power of... Uh, the power of thought, the power of imagination, the power of positive thinking. I always think about when I'm talking about this kind of realm of thinking, I think about when I was on the swim team. I went to school in a suburb of Detroit, and uh, ever since I was nine years old, up until university, I swam. I was on the swim team. In high school, I was uh, captain of my swim team. It was a small swim team, only like 10 of us, but uh, we were pioneers, you know, and, and we would work hard and we did pretty well within our district and definitely took the, actually in the beginning, our swim team was 10, but in the end it was, you know, I think 30 or 40, it was a big swim team at the end. And we were the people that kind of brought the swim team out in South Lake, me and the originators, uh, Tim Justin and Anthony Naiman and Chad Hyven and my my best friends and Neop Trang, all, all swim buddies from way back when. But what we would do is my my coach uh, was a real badass. I mean, he was as badass as a swim coach can be, but you'd be surprised. Uh, he would toss uh, chairs in the pool and throw kickboards at us. Go, go, go. He was, <clears throat> he was uh, encouraging to the point of being hostile, <laughs> but sometimes you need that. You need that type of energy to push you to the extreme, to push you into that realm where you do better than you think you can, where you add that fuel, you jayo. And, uh, he was definitely the guy that could force you to add that a little extra bit of fuel. And before one of our really big swim meets, a competition in swimming is a meet. So you'd have a swim meet. Uh, and before a really, really intense swim meet with one of our rivals or a place where um, where you're actually uh, competing and you're trying to really press yourself to break a record or do better than you ever have, which is pretty much every swim meet. But the but the big ones, the, the ones where, you know, it was a county meet, he would take us into the into the pool where all you could hear was the water rushing into the gutters of the pool, that, that droning sound of the water as it, as it makes its way to the filters. And, and it just kind of is, is slowly pouring that sound, the smell of chlorine, you know, entering your nostrils. So you've get this combination of chlorine and silence and this gushing sound. And, and he would say, take a towel, lay it out somewhere isolated, lay it out somewhere where you feel quiet and comfortable. And, you know, sometimes I would lay it out on the diving boards and I would just lay it out at the end of the diving board. I would lay down on the, on the tongue of this diving board and it would slowly rock up and down. And, and so I'd have this feeling of, you know, the slow rock of the, of the, um, 
of the board and the sound of the water gushing and the smell of the chlorine in my nose. And he would, he would go through some breathing exercises, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. And he would get me into a zone. He would get everybody into this zone of relaxation and, and focus. And then he would say, I want you to put yourself in a position of, of the meat tomorrow. I want you to uh, see the, the lanes, the swimming lane in front of you with the buoys on either side, demarking the, the competitors alongside each of you. And then I want you to feel the tile underneath your feet. Feel tactically, you know, try to immerse yourself in this moment. Step onto the, onto the uh, uh, diving block. You know, the block is a thing that most people jump off of into the pool to give you that starting, starting block. And he's like, uh, oftentimes a starting block is coated with, to like sandpaper uh, to grip your feet, your bare feet. And uh, he's like, feel that. Feel the starting block under your feet. Edge out till your toes wrap across the edge, the bottom edge of the block. You're a winner. You've already won this race. Now visualize what the route is going to be to win this race. You have already won it. You have to imagine the process of winning now. And so he's like, you wrap your toes around the bottom of the block. Then you bend over. Perfect form, perfect strength. You are a winner. You wrap your fingers around the bottom front edge of the block. You're calm, yet your heart is ready. Your muscles are tense. The gun, and uh, the way you start most swim races, uh, the, there's a, uh, a starter, and he pulls up the gun. Ready! Take your marks. And he'd even have a gun sometimes. He'd, he'd boom. And then our whole bodies, everybody laying down and, and wherever they are in the pool area suddenly jolts, you know. Although we're laying in a comfortable position and we're, this is all imaginary. Our bodies have created the circumstances to win and, and our bodies are now reacting in order to win. Off into the water. You feel the water engulf you. You've perfect streamlined. You hit that water, boom, you're off. Head tightly between your arms, ears covered in a perfect streamline. As you coast under the water, speed. Then you rise up. As soon as you feel the top of your head break that top of the water, you pull out into a perfect stroke, whatever the stroke might be. Some people are doing butterfly. Some people are doing freestyle. Some people are doing breaststroke, backstroke, whatever your, whatever your thing is. And you were, your power, ultimate power. And he's, you know, guiding us, you know. You can feel the racers alongside you in either lane. They can't touch you. You're a winner, you know. And he pushes you. He guides you through the whole thing. You, you feel the, the wall on the other side of the lane coming closer. You can time it perfectly in your mind. And while your eyes are closed, it doesn't matter your eyes are closed. You can see it. You know it's there. Turn. Push. Streamline. Speed. And you're going the next way. You know, I'm sure 
that uh, you can apply this to uh, football players or golfers or whatever your thing is. Visualization is an important um, important piece of the puzzle in order to make you achieve your goals, whatever they are, even even non-sport-related goals, closing your eyes and visualizing, you know, uh, winning a test or, you know, uh, doing well at, at work or at school or whatever is an important thing. And uh, so, you know, he would follow you through until you finally tap that wall at the end of your race and you're the winner and you're huffing and puffing, but you know that you've given it your all and that when you look to the side, left and right, and those other people are tapping behind you, whether it's split seconds or, or seconds, full seconds, you know that you're the winner of this race. You have done it. You have accomplished your goal. And he would walk us through these things, you know, that in the day before or the couple of days before our, uh, our major swim meet. And uh, he would encourage us to do this again when we go home. Visualize. The more you visualize, the more you're prepared, the more your body prepares the more when you do it it's more of a um second thought i've already won all i have to do is go through the motions now my mind has done this so now i need to reinforce that thought with what my body does you know and it not only builds confidence but it it can build strength when you're actually doing it because you're reinforced by this just undeniable reinforced will. Anyways, I felt like I, I, it's getting close to climbing the tallest mountain in the world. And so I went through each of the steps, each of the trek, uh, waypoints and I visualized it and I'll do this probably for the next month and month and a half until uh, Everest comes close my eyes putting on my trekking boots, getting to base camp, putting on my, uh, my down suit, getting my crampons. So crampons are the uh, ice teeth that dig into the ice faces, you know, when you're climbing up the mountain and going from camp one to camp two, resting, accomplishing, feeling tired, but not beaten, excited, you know. And uh, it's important to do these kind of things. Uh, and, and as I'm doing it, my, my, my heart's starting to race. I'm starting to breathe faster and sweat a little bit, you know, just get a little moist. I'm actually, you know, feeling that this is, this is going to happen, you know, and, and it's an eventuality. I'm going to be on, a, on the summit of Everest in, in two months, you know, or so. And uh, I've got to be prepared for it. So doing this was really nice. It actually uh, helped because I, I really logged the distances. I looked at the estimated hours, unacclimated and acclimated of time it takes to get from these different points. Because climbing Everest is a 62-day, um, actually a 65-day from Kathmandu to Kathmandu event. Uh, 45 of those days are actually the climb of Everest. The rest is actually getting to base camp and getting returning from base camp. But there's a long portion of time, like over a month, where you are acclimating. Those of you that climbed in high altitude understand that word. Those of you that haven't but would like to know, your body is built for your elevation wherever you are or it tries to be, 
obviously you go too high and your body's too starved of oxygen, you're going to die. But within a certain realm, if you go a thousand meters higher than the sea level, your body is going to start to try to accommodate you at that height. Why? Because oxygen becomes sparse as pressure decreases. As you get higher, the air pressure goes down. Just like if you were to go underwater, the air pressure goes uh, uh, the pressure goes up and all of a sudden you find that, you know, there, there's your body is being pressed on, on, on all sides by the atmosphere, which is the water. Well, as you go up, that pressure goes down because you're getting closer and closer to the vacuum of space, basically. Along with that lighter air, you'd say, comes less oxygen molecules in that air that can be processed by your body. So you are unable to process as much oxygen because you simply, no matter how much you try to fill your lungs, each breath has less oxygen in it by volume. So uh, with that less oxygen, you're obviously you're oxygen starved and certain amount of variance is allowable. Your body can survive, but uh, as you get higher and higher, it's less and less. Uh, you can get altitude sickness headaches, nausea. It's not pleasant when you get into these high altitudes. Now, everybody's different. Some people can process oxygen better than others. The Sherpas who live on top of that mountain, they spent their lives, their, their lineage is on that mountain. Uh, their bodies and hearts and, and systems are built to accommodate the higher height. And where you might be dragging ass and, and starving, they, uh, they're just cruising but they deserve this you know they've inherited this you are going there to accomplish this goal and you have to kind of uh turn into them or as much as you can you have to uh, build the systems in your body that they have inherently where you've got to build them in an unnatural way well a natural way but they're not natural for us on on the, those of us that live at sea level and it takes time that's why we go to base camp and you'll stay at base camp for a number of days. Then you go to camp one. You stay there for a number of days. Then you come back down to base camp. Then you go up to camp one, camp two. Stay at camp two for a while. Come back down. And you're constantly going up and down and up and down. And you're trying to get your body to acclimate. You want your red blood cells to process more oxygen, which happens. The hemoglobin in your body starts to, I think, I'm hopefully I'm not talking out of my ass, but I believe that you produce more hemoglobin as you get to higher elevations. And it's a temporary thing. As soon as you go back to sea level, your body almost snaps right back to what you used to be. But as you exist at higher altitudes, your body starts to accommodate you and your body at that altitude. And so it's it's a big up and down, up and down, up and down. And uh, I spent today, uh, the last four hours, kind of looking at the map. Google Maps is really nice because you can uh, perspective view and you can see the, the, uh, the ups and downs. And you can almost walk the entire uh, path up Everest. I'm actually looking at Google Earth right now. It's 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 amazing and uh, it's got me quite excited so I, I visualized each step and uh, started to 
come to terms with what the climb was. I've seen the movie Everest, and although everybody has seen the movie Everest, the new one that came out uh, about the uh, the climbing expedition where a bunch of lives were lost and. He said, oh, how can you do that? That's, you know, you're crazy. You're crazy. um, I appreciate the concern, but I also know that that movie was based on a tragic experience where although the guide was experienced, a few of the people that weren't experienced went up with him and uh, there was human error caused some real devastation and death uh, along with weather, obviously, that created a problem. I am not going to be stupid on this mountain. I have invested a lot of money and a lot of time in getting it done, but I'm not, it's not more valuable than my life and a concerted effort, a monumental try and a desire not to give up is not superseded by stupidity and risking my life. So, um, I don't think anybody should worry that I'm going to, you know, <laughs> I'm going to kill myself on this thing. You know, it's just not going to happen. I am going to be as smart as I can, but uh, I, I'm definitely going to rock this thing out and do it. Uh, I started looking at some of these uh, specific climbing instances, and whew, there, there are some vertical, vertical points here. Um, I don't know how you pronounce it, but lost. Lost uh, wall is a 1,200 meter, 4,000 foot wall of ice that you need to climb up. And uh, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm looking at, you know, descriptions from other climbs and, 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 and the maps and, and the pictures and whew, it gets me excited and uh, nervous. Nerves are, nerves are okay. Nerves aren't a bad thing, but it does get me excited and, uh, I think I'm ready. I wish I wish that I was a little bit more healthy. I think in my past 10 years on this earth, I've probably had one instance that I I have been one or two instances where I've been actually um in better shape and I was hoping that I would be in the best shape of my life to do this climb. I think experience-wise, I I have the most experience obviously ever, you know, you're always building experience, but I'm at a point where I've climbed enough I can appreciate what I'm about to get into. I was hoping that I would be a little in a little bit better shape at this point. I still have a month and a half to continue to 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 do the exercises and I've got on a great uh CrossFit regiment, so I'm feeling that this is going to be what I'm going to need to accomplish the goal but I wish I was a little bit more in shape. My knee has been, you know, such a problem because running and conditioning and stair climbing and these kind of things were something that I was hoping to have been so diligent with by now that it was second nature. And I'm just now feeling that my knee is, is giving me the opportunity to kind of push myself. And so I'm going to try and and, you know, really start killing it with, with some stepping exercises and squats and things like this. But I will have to say that I do, I do feel like there's some twinging in my knee every so often. And I, I hope it doesn't cause any problems when I'm up there one. And I really hope it doesn't cause any problems when I finish. And, uh, I'm trying to live the rest of my life. I really feel, damn, what a, what a, what a, 
bitch <laughs> to have a knee problem and have my uh, lifestyle choices ahead of me. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to be satisfied if I, if I'm stuck, you know, in kind of a stagnant position. Uh, getting off of Everest for a second, I've been thinking about the future of the Jaya World Tour, and I'm hoping and I'm thinking, you know, an interesting observation of a few of these people who do triking and cycling have told me is that when you stand up and you walk, the proper way to walk is having your um, feet placed on the ground as you walk directly under uh, where the sockets are on your pelvis. It's just natural where you stand, right? That's where your pedals should be. But all bikes, pretty much, when you click in or place your feet on the pedals, you're actually narrower. Your feet are closer together when you're on the pedals than when your body naturally is is in that inline position. So what they've built are these little knee, they're called knee extend, they're, they're pedal extenders, and they're small little, basically just steel devices that screw in between the pedal arm and the pedal and extend the pedals out on either side and allow your feet to have that more natural stance. And they call them knee savers. <laughs> knee savers. That sounds, that's screaming Matt. Because <laughs> uh, I need myself some knee, anything that's going to save my knee. So I'm, I'm definitely adding that to uh, the the tour when I get finished. The other thing that I'm considering is uh, adding some sort of electrical assist to the trike. And I'm, I'm a little nervous about that because, you know, adding an electrical assist, I've rode some in, in Germany, actually. They're wonderful. You just press a little button on the handle and all of a sudden you feel this little assistant boost you're still pedaling but there's some electricity there's some torque added to the the system when you're moving and really really helps you um move the problem is they add not only gearing and and the system onto the wheel itself but there's a power system of batteries and batteries still are pretty gall darn heavy these lithium-ion batteries enough to assist you in any sort of capacity, they're heavy. And as long as that battery is charged, as long as that's assisting you, there's no problem there. You, you are receiving the benefit of that system. But as soon as that battery runs out of power, you're all of a sudden carrying that battery, you go from having that thing be a help to having it be a hindrance, and you're actually having to pull this battery and gearing system. And sometimes it can be pretty heavy. You're talking like maybe 10 pounds of extra weight. I mean, these batteries can be pretty heavy, and I would probably want two batteries to extend my range. But I'm not sure if those batteries and that system can accept the kind of weight and torque that I have on my tour. It might actually... You know, just like you're going to drain the battery faster than normal if you're, you know, if you're pushing any sort of electrical device harder, I'm going to be pushing this kind of electrical assist. They call it e-assist as hard as possible to try and, you know, keep me going also as I carry all my weight. And what if uh, I ride and, and at the end of a day, I don't find a place where I can charge it up and all of a sudden I have to pull that whole thing the next day and... And do I need a whole new trike? Is it something I can add onto my existing trike? A lot of people have suggested a lot of different options, but I'm 
I'm concerned. Um, Ryan and I have always talked when we conceived of this tour that it's going to be human powered, all human powered. The whole point is that you're, 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 you're powering yourself around the world. But um, I think my knee deserves some sort of an assistance. And I, and an e-assist isn't necessarily like adding a combustion engine. It's, it's not like giving up the whole e uh, the green energy kind of uh, process. It could still be good, a good way to go. But I need to kind of come up with something because otherwise stopping isn't an option. So I've got to figure out a way to continue this journey one way or another. And I'm thinking that maybe some electrical assist might help. But uh, I've got to accommodate this issue that I have. And uh, although the doctors have said that I could possibly, you know, make it so that I don't have this problem ever again, you have to play devil's advocate, you know, and. I have my mind so set on accomplishing Everest, so set on making this Everest climb happen, I haven't really given a lot of thought to the after recently. You know, uh, there's a whole lot to go beyond Everest. There's a, a lot of people might say Everest is the biggest pinnacle. But for me, the way it's kind of shaping out is Everest is becoming the beginning of the world tour. Uh, it used to be it's going to be a step along the way, you know, step number two or step number three on a on a hundred step voyage. But now with all the setbacks and the delays, it's becoming a uh, first step. And then after this first step, um, I want to really get on the road. And I've been thinking a lot about that. To think about accomplishing Everest as a as a life goal is is a beautiful and amazing thing. But there's a whole list of life goals that I want to accomplish before you know before the the yo runs out of uh, this body, you know, and uh, fuel Jayo. And so I'm uh, I'm trying to think about that. Think about the future. Think about and visualize the rest. Just like what I was talking about in the beginning. I have visualized myself on this tour. I was talking to a friend of mine actually about about uh, Ryan when Ryan first started the tour and how excited he was when he took those first rides on the trike. And I was a little bit jealous of Ryan's excitement because I never really had so much of the excitement that Ryan had because Ryan was was going without so much visualization. Uh, before I started the Jayo World Tour, I had been preparing for two years. I had bought a trike. I had, I went to Germany to build it. I, I focused on the path around the world. All these things were ingrained in me. By the time my wheels hit the ground and I left Ningbo for the first time and even for the second time, it had already set in that I was doing this. I had already done it in my mind so many times that the excitement of of going out that gate, of hitting that first hill, of, of turning around the, you know, cranking that pedal for the first time, I had already done it. And not that it was a disappointment, but it was a realization that I am doing what I have already visualized in my head. And so it zapped out a little bit of the, um, a little bit of that wow factor. And to see Ryan with that wow factor, like he, uh, Ryan was preparing and visualizing, I'm sure on his own, but, um, I don't think to the extent because because Ryan had, had not intended to do the five years with me, he had intended to go to Everest, you know, originally. And so, for him, it was just the beginning of this, this path that he was walking on. And it was really exciting to see his face. And I was like, wow, 
he's, he's really excited, you know? And, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm visualizing all these other steps and, and trying to think about, you know, how am I going to conserve this strip even with the issues that I'm, I'm kind of, uh, having. And so I'm the testament to rolling with the punches. I've been knocked down a few times already, you know, car accident, knee problems, knee problems again. Even before that, there have been problems. So uh, it's all about getting back up as, as, and, and trying to roll with the punches. So I'm, I'm doing that. And so Everest, which was supposed to be something I rode my trike to, is now becoming the starting adventure. All of these other things have kind of led up to Everest. I'm going to go to Everest, climb it, and then start again and attempt to not stop this time. I'm, I'm really excited now because actually I'll be starting after Everest. I'll be starting in this summer, uh, summer months and in fall. And what that's going to do is it might allow me to actually do my initial secondary route, which was South Korea. Japan, Okinawa, Taiwan, and Vietnam, uh, which is awesome. So these countries that I thought were were falling to the wayside because Ryan and I didn't get started until too late, it was getting too cold. Now seems like I might be able to do Everest, do these you know extra countries, and uh, jayo it. So I'm I'm really excited. I'm very excited. I'm going to try to stop saying really and uh which I actually edit out a lot of them. You guys don't even hear them, but there are a lot in there. And uh, Jayo it. So uh, anyways, visualization. That's what I was doing today. And it seemed to do really good. It gave me a, a feeling of accomplishment and a feeling of excitement and a understanding of what I'm about to, to do. And also a... Uh, appreciation for the size and scope of climbing Everest as well as all the other things I want to do. So, um, yeah, it was good for all of you guys out there attempting to do something amazing, close your eyes, visualize it and then do it. (laughs) And, uh, I'm sure that'll help. So anyways, if you had any advice on the, uh, electric assist or anything, uh, let me know. I know I've already gotten a lot and, uh, I'm just trying to play all my options here. And if you have any advice on Everest, for those of you that have done it, if there's anybody out there that's listening that has, appreciate any of that as well. Thank you. I'll talk to you again in the near future. I told you guys I wanted to talk about the Osmo, the uh, Fayud gimbal and uh, the cameras that I use on the trip and the ones that I took to uh, Thailand, and I still want to do that. So take it easy. Jaiyo. The Jio Nation podcast is a podcast. How about that? About me as I ride around the world on a recumbent trike, as well as not ride and accomplish amazing, or I see them as amazing accomplishments around the world. Eventually, I would love to do interviews and uh, talk with fellow travelers that are doing amazing things. If you're interested and you want to see what I'm up to, you can go to my website, www.jayoe.com. See me on my Facebook page at Jayo Life, J-A-Y-O-E-L-I-F-E. And uh, subscribe to the website so that you can receive any updates and some cool mailers. 
that I won't bombard you with, but it will keep you informed. The website is evolving. I got some amazing things there, so stick around and watch that. If you uh, have any comments on how the website looks, I'd love to hear it. Uh, and uh, that's about it. Catch you on the other side. Jaiyo.